So we are officially pod people, Nefertiri. We're pod people. <laughs> Welcome to Impact the Podcast, sponsored by the universe and powered by the Venture Cafe. I am Tanya T. Morris, and today I am drinking, I don't even know. I'm just going to, what are we drinking now? We're drinking I'm drinking cider, the same thing you're drinking. Right, so which is cider, I believe. I believe we're drinking Jack's cider. So I'm drinking cider. We're drinking Jack's cider. And uh, Egypt was kind enough to bring me some water as well. Um, but my co-host, my lovely co-host, Nefertiri, um, when we drink, we never drink alone, right, Neff? Absolutely. And I invited our guests to drink with us as well. I'm not sure if Tracy's joining the fun, but I know that Melida is. What do you have? What are you drinking? Hello there. I am on some single malt. Don't judge me. I like it. <laughs> I, like, I like it. I did get that memo in the chat, so I'm good as well. I have a small mixture of crown peach and ginger ale. Oh, big so, time. They big time in us, Neff. And I'm feeling that way. So this, this is a tradition that started uh, during the pandemic. We were remote. So Tanya and I went back and forth. Who could represent Philly the hardest with some local brew? And this is evolving. We've got peach and single malt oh if you have anything in the chat please drop it drop it in the chat i see coffee with cream and cornbread wow michelle she she pulled out the cornbread for the show (laughs) (laughs) well it is good to be back together this is our first in person together episode even though we are in individual pods <laughs> we are together for the first time uh, we started this last year um, as a part at the height of the pandemic and we've had some tremendous tremendous conversations and so we're excited for this conversation today so mixed messages that's what we're looking at we have two wonderful guests who are joining us today i'd like to introduce the first malada Berhane is the CEO, principal, and co-founder of AR Spruce LLC. It's a Philadelphia-based real estate services and development company that plans, creates, and manages real estate. Her 22-plus years of experience and deep background in real estate development and redevelopment, both for her own portfolio and a fee basis for others. It encompasses expertise in feasibility studies, site selection, entitlements, construction, and marketing. She leads the company's project management services, including community, client, and vendor contractor relations. Malado, welcome to impact the podcast thank you thank you for having me good afternoon everyone so happy to have you Malada. we're also fortunate to have miss tracy powell with us from mosaic brokerage uh, tracy has been a licensed real estate agent in pennsylvania for 20 years she is currently the vice president of residential sales at mosaic and is a broker candidate for 2021 uh, using her background in engineering from drexel university tracy is well versed in the logistics of negotiation and breakdown of property and sales uh, her coverage areas include philadelphia all of delaware and montgomery county uh, tracy is ranked one of the top of buyers agents who sell homes fast and as one of the top agents for townhomes. So being well-versed in residential mortgage loans and construction procedures have helped prove 
viable to her investor clients and home buyer clients in making prime decisions. She's regularly taught home buyer education classes to nonprofits uh, for first time home buyers to discuss budgeting for home buying and resources available through the city to buy a home. Tracy, welcome to Impact. Thank you, thank you. Welcome, I'm excited to be here, ladies. So well, we're excited there. to have you. Tanya, I was going to say there are two things I want to make sure that we cover today, and, and you and I talk, we talked offline. So generational wealth, like I want to get on the same page about what that is and how real estate plays a part in that. And then redlining came up with my 18-year-old son in conversation today. So if you can make sure we do that, Tanya, the floor is yours. I got you. I got you. And so we're going to start with Tracy and how is real estate commonly used to build generational wealth? Um, well, from my platform and my vantage point of where I sit, uh, the first initial um, conversation about building generational wealth is ownership, mm. starting with owning your home. Um, that puts you on the platform to be able to have that journey to create generational wealth. And some cases, even if it is as intricate and as small as just buying your first home to live in, to be able to stay long enough to take care of the financial responsibility, maintain the integrity of the property and pass it on to your family and they can hold it in their family as an asset, it is the cornerstone of generational wealth. Yeah, absolute cornerstone of generational wealth, the cornerstone and that is such a powerful statement in and of itself. I don't think that we um, completely uh, understand that generational wealth begins with home ownership. If I was to follow up with that, uh, since Nefertiri brought it up, we might as well jump into this redlining question um, because how can you, gen when you have obstacles like a generational, like a, a redlining, how um, how would you A, define, gener uh, define um, redlining and then um, how do we as a people talk to our young people about navigating that in order to become homeowners? So... Redlining is a, is a very, very old practice. <laughs> and it is a practice that definitely was instituted through um, financing of properties to make sure that those people that they wanted to keep out, they could keep out. Um, the conversation with redlining and some of the uh, Fair Housing Act of 1968 and those kind of things were integral in making sure that there were certain regulations to stop that. Um, but it, it still goes on today. Mm -hmm. um, redlining is just from a definition space, what it used to, what it, what it came from. The banks would literally outline with a red pen on the map all the areas that were high risk and the areas that were going to be charged a higher rate because of their risk level, given their proximity to um, unfavorable characteristics. I like the air quotes. I like the air, I like the air quotes. I, I was telling that I was telling Neff when she 
was telling me uh, about her conversation uh, with her son that I remember when I bought my home in West Philadelphia, um, I remember getting homeowner's insurance and one company point blank telling me they did not insure homes that had flat roofs. Yeah, yeah, they, they, got, they got very, very slick in ways on how they characterize the, the, the neighborhoods that they felt like were high risk and characteristics of those types of properties that were also built in those neighborhoods and those areas too. As if you go deeper into Philadelphia history, you know that there's certain architects that were brought in the 60s and the 70s to create certain property types in certain neighborhoods. Mm. If you realize, you know, Overbrook Park may look similar to certain parts of Mount Airy. Mm. And, and that's due to the architectural structure of how certain things were built in the 60s and the 70s. So some of the redlining conversations, because they knew that was kind of like, oh, OK, all the flat roofs were over there. We're going to line this in red to say that this area and we'll use it as a term of flat roofs are mm -hmm. a higher uh, criteria. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, Mal, you want to add anything to that? Go ahead, Neff, you want to chime in? Uh, yeah, actually, I was going to queue up Mal because, <laughs> you know, so much of this is it happened in the past. And, and, and rightfully, it's like, you know, those things happen in the past. Let's move forward. But I guess the question is, is it happening today? How is it manifesting or how are we seeing it? How are we seeing it? And the second question I have for you, I'm going to hold until you answer, until you answer the first one. Sure, sure. So, um as, as um, Tracy uh, very clearly explained, I think that redlining is, um, it was a systemic um, decision made by policymakers in our governments and in private practice that designed, essentially we'll call it what it is, you know, black and brown people out of certain neighborhoods. And I think what we see today, and you can see this by the neighborhoods right here in Philadelphia is, we are 60 years after those decisions and those impacts have not only changed our neighborhoods, but they've changed and shaped the lives of the individuals that live in these neighborhoods. So there are, we're so deep entrenched in those policies and the effects that those policies had on our lives that, that you know, is it still happening today? Um, I would say yes, because there's a lot of policy that needs to be uh, changed and accommodated for, for where we are today. Um, and unfortunately, it's not happening as quickly as we would like, um, but it's, it's really important that there is um, representation in positions of power. I think that we all have a way to use our voice in the rooms that we're in. Um, and that room could be the dining table. It could be in a boardroom. It could, it could be at the local school. I think that there needs to be a lot of awareness about promoting um, black and brown people into real estate. Like we need to force ourselves into an industry, whether or not you know someone that was in there. I think there's, I don't know, I feel like if you're in real estate, you have a responsibility to stop that cycle and eventually reverse it, right? Mm. And based on what we saw in the last year, um, we know that a lot of this is still going on. And so, you know, it takes it takes a village. So. Thank you, Mao. So I, I will say that the feeling of powerlessness 
can really cripple a person. And a young person that doesn't understand these things, like my 18-year-old son just today asked me about redlining because in his freshman English class, it came up as the topic of discussion. So what advice or how would you explain that to a young person in a way that they feel as though they can take action versus regressing into that powerlessness? Mm. That's a great question. Is that for me? Yeah. So, um, that's a great question. I have children and, you know, we always feel as though um, we want to protect them and we want to kind of create this environment where things are um, safe or feel safe. Uh, but there's going to be a time, I think, for each child, it, it happens at a different point in their lives, at a, you know, whatever age you feel it's appropriate, but those conversations need to happen. I think they need to understand uh, because those are, um, those are gonna be answers in their minds when they're 20, 25, 30, and they're experiencing challenges in their lives that they might not be able to explain had you not had those conversations with them. And you know that's something that you might feel if I'm 25 and I feel like, why is it so hard to get a loan? You know, that it's not just you. There's a systemic wave that happened 60 years before you and you're fighting that, right? And it's, it's letting them know that they're part of a movement and they're part of, you know, this wave of change. And by the way, they're not alone. And um, yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I, it's a delicate, you know, I, I want to coddle my kids. I'm guilty. I am that mom, right? And um, it's, it's really important. I'm, I'm seeing hands being raised. Um, it's, it's really important that you find that opportune moment and, and, and you, you know, slowly let them know it's a, it's a, it's a teachable moment and yes. I think it needs to happen. So I'll, I'll kind of add a little bit to that with some of the action items and some of the practical um, things that I teach in some of my home buyer classes and conversations. One, and I'm this, I guess a small plug, but this is the purpose. Uh, I work for a minority owned brokerage. One of the biggest, biggest things that you can do, and this was one of the principles that Mosaic Brokerage was founded on because the development partners who created it were also minority owned and understood in development that there's barely any black or brown. So the conversation to start is hire people who look like you, work with professionals who look like you, who can help you navigate all of these rules, regulations and different things and they know the laws. So they can help you to make sure that discrimination doesn't come knocking at your door as quickly and as readily available as someone who doesn't have any representation or protection. There are a lot of things that protect people from redlining and you kind of have to be very, very covert for it to kind of really, really be useful in redlining. But most of the times people can't get away with just outright flat out. Right discrimination right. Right. Um, but you do have to be clear and careful on what discrimination looks like um, a lot of times people don't realize a part of the redlining conversation we've also seen some neighborhoods have been devalued some appraisers that come from the banks will value neighborhoods 
or property cheaper if they see certain unfavorable characteristics or believe those characteristics to be a part of the property or a part of the neighborhood. That is also a fight for the professional as well. They have to champion that client and champion that, that property to be able to say that doesn't exist here, here's why, mm -hmm. here's the proof, here's the documents. So I can just basically say, you can let your son know <laughs> that there are black and brown professionals that can help him make sure that he is gets exactly what he's supposed to get yes. when it's his time. Yes, power to the people. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's why I'm so excited about this panel because I you know I know um, about Mosaic's work and and, and and Mal's work and I think it's so important and so um, you know and just like what, what you're saying Tracy is so true about people in the industry is much like the VC industry, right? Um, it was an article that came out yesterday and we talked about this very thing that until there are more women and people of color writing checks, the amount of VC dollars that go to women and people of color will stay low. It's the same, it's the same thing. We have to be more engaged and more active in those industries in order to um, change, make the systemic changes that need to, be, need to be made. So my next question is how do we create messages that help people, neighbors, community leaders, not see or look at real estate as a way to get out of their communities, but as a way to stay and build our city. So <laughs> I was like, that's such a loaded question. <laughs> There's so many layers to that. And the reason why I say that, and, and I have this conversation a lot, including the G word, but in, in the conversation, it has to start with the village-minded aspect. Mm. You have to understand what the village is, how it supports you, make sure that it supports you, make sure that the community is there and the resources in the community are also supporting those in the community. So that way you understand why staying there is so important. The next layer I would probably say is the conversation about when, when you've seen some of these old school communities in Philly where the properties have been handed down to five and six generations, no one has sold them. It's a completely different vibe. True, that is very true. <laughs> Auntie so-and-so, no Nana so-and-so, uncle so-and-so knows the young guys that came out of the house that lived in you know these three doors down and it's a real community good bad or ugly that's cool and, and it's a different conversation when you can have a hand in knowing someone's story in a house and understanding that oh you know what I don't think they would appreciate that. Or, hey, there's some trash going on outside. They normally don't do that in their property. Something must be wrong. Let me knock on the door and make sure so-and-so is okay. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a completely different rhythm when there is a village and there's a community and there's a lot of conversation. So I think that's where I would say to start with 
is there has to be an attachment to the community. Yeah, Kimberly uh, Ryan just made an excellent point in the chat. And I think there's certainly some truth to that when it comes to the educational um, system. I mean, I am the product of the Philadelphia public school system. Um, John L. Kinsey Elementary, which is closed now in West Oak Lane. Mm -hmm. um, Fells Junior High School, which is now a high school in the Northeast and then Northeast High School in Northeast. I'm a DSEG baby and I tell people that all the time and I'm a proud DSEG baby. Um, but I think that I think that Kimberly makes an excellent point when it comes to the status of our educational system um, in the city of Philadelphia. Mal, did you want to add anything to that? No, I, I, I'm, I'm really glad, uh, Kimberly, that you brought up um, education because I feel like, you know, um, unfortunately, just based on how school districts work and you having to go to schools in uh, the neighborhoods where you live, mm -hmm. it uh, you asked me earlier if I think that systemic racism exists in our policies. Here is a really great example of how it limits black and brown people from going to schools wherever they want to go, right? New York's not like that. Anyone here from New York or familiar with, you can go to any school you want, right? And I think that, um, I really think that parents investing in our schools is going to be part of the solution, Right, we can beat up on the school district all we want. Yep. Right, we can on the school board all we want. I uh, be careful what I say because this is like a hot topic right now in Philly. But mm -hmm. you know, there's there. It is what it is. You know, I think that you will find schools scattered across Philadelphia where parents go in and they demand certain things and they make up for those gaps um, in any way they can. Now, is it perfect? No. Is it demanding? Yes. Right. Um, so. But again, it's one of those, it's, it's about stopping those wheels from turning in the wrong direction and trying to step in and do something about it. And, um, but it's, it's not something that, you know, a small group of people can take on all by themselves, but it yeah. starts there, right? Yeah. Um, so investing in our schools is huge. It's huge. It's huge for property values, for the children, yeah. for the next generation, you name yeah. it, right? And that's my thing. <laughs> education, STEM education specifically uh, is my thing. And I'm actually not from the area. I'm a military brat, traveled around a lot. And our education was not based on our property taxes. Mm -hmm. Everyone was educated with the same dollars. And I understand that that's a different paradigm here. Um, so I'd like to understand in a larger context about the, the challenges in developing in Philadelphia. So why is Philly viewed as being such a hard city to develop in? Mal's smiling, so she wants to really go, go in. Oh, my goodness. Go what in. How much time do we have? 20, <laughs> 26 more in. minutes. 26. <laughs> go. All right. So Philadelphia, and I'll, and I'll talk with, you know, I'll talk from my purview, right? So think of what we do. We we invest in and we develop real estate, mostly commercial, the multifamily mixed use, um, uh, all kinds of commercial. And we also do development management or project management. So we're helping commercial clients, businesses with their real estate needs, right? Typically real estate is one of the largest numbers that you'll see on anyone's balance sheet, right? And um, what you end up finding in Philadelphia is that it costs a lot more to improve a building or to build new construction 
um, than our revenues justify. So our rents are low, our property values are low, um, but our cost for construction has always been high. It's been historically high. It's comparable to New York. Everyone's heard that before. So the, you know, that magic bridge that developers have to build uh, to close that gap, right, um, is essentially what defines success from failure on a development project. So how do we do that? So you end up being super creative, right? So you're going after grants, you're going after tax credits, you're going, I mean, you name it, right? And so it takes so much longer to get those projects coming out of the ground in your due diligence phase in Philadelphia than most other cities, right? So um, that is a much bigger problem. I wish I had a, a solution for it, but I'm really excited to say though, um, I think it was Kevin Gillen, economist at Drexel, who recently said that um, property values in Philadelphia, the value increase, the rate of increase of our property values is higher than the national average. So, and what they're finding is typically in center city, um, the rate of increase in values has always been highest. But in 2020 and 2021, we're finding that the surrounding neighborhoods have exceeded the rate of increase. So think of that, you know, that, that donut at, outside of a round of center city. And that's great. That's great for our neighborhoods. That's great for, um, you know, uh, building generational wealth, right? Don't sell. Yes. That's just my opinion. Yes. Don't sell. You don't have to, right? Keep it, maintain it, right? Then you have that equity. Like you're, you're able to, for at least for your own family, for your own generation, do what you can to allow that equity to build right? Tracy's nodding because she knows what I'm talking about, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of opportunity in um, real estate. Obviously, you want to, you know, you know, gentrification is really a factor of folks coming in and saying, I'm going to pay $150,000 for this three-story row home. Um, and somebody that owns it paid $40,000 10, 15, 20 years ago. And they think, oh my goodness, I can't walk away from this, right? So um, kind of coming back to your question, I would say that there are ways that we can, um, in our own ways, try and bridge that divide. And it's important to just talk to people and understand what your options are. And, um, and development could also be staying in your property, fixing it up, right? That's development. So, I mean, you know, not a day goes by, uh, Mal, where I don't get a phone call or a note, a postcard in the door. I want to buy your house. Um, not a day goes by. I asked one lady, well, what exactly where is it that you would propose I live if I sell you my house? And um, the silence was deafening, like, because they don't care about that. And, and, and to your point, like, we got to stop selling our prop selling. We can't build generational wealth if we're going to keep on selling our homes to the highest bidder. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Tracy. Cause I, I'm, 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 <laughs> Tracy I'm wants to say something. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, I, I, but I understand your frustration. I, I, I deal with that daily with clients, with conversations, even from the wholesalers and the people who are doing the phone calls and the dropping off the cards down to the people who are owning the properties, trying to decide whether or not they should sell, whether it's from a direct ownership or from a familial space of this was uh, uh, grandfather's house. We don't know what to do with it. We can't maintain it. We're not sure how to maintain it. So it's a lot of different things. Um, couple things I would definitely say is use your resources. There's so many resources in the city that can help you or at least educate you on what your options are. Um, professionals are a good lead way to get to those resources because we definitely use them daily. Um, but if you wanted to just go on Phila.gov or go on Google and check to see what programs are there for, you know, what we like to call, you know, some of the issues. I find most people want to keep and stay in their homes or they want to keep the home ownership. They just don't have the resources to tackle the problems that they have. Mm, that's a good point. During ownership. Some of them can be repairs. Some of them can be, I don't know what to do because I owe taxes on it, but the property is still in my late father's name yeah. and I'm trying to figure out how to untangle the title. Yeah. So that's the kind of things that I find are the biggest hurdles to just making sure that people can keep um, their homes. But to the conversation about being able to start where you are and being able to develop in the city, one understanding ownership and understanding development is a big conversation. And, and to the true essence of development, it's taking something that is not performing or producing to bring it to a space to be able to multiply what it, its output is in the market, whether it's just turning land into a home or turning land into a full-fledged commercial corridor space where now we have jobs, we have supermarkets, we have uh, uh, hospitals, and we also have places for people to live. So Tracy, you bring up a, a great point. I know there is a, a question from someone in attendance. So I'd like to cue you up in just a minute with that question about um, gentrification and purchasing a row home. So Emily, whoever that is, have them on standby, please. So Tracy, the point that you bring up about uh, development and putting in commercial properties, uh, to my understanding that generational wealth, that is such a buzz phrase or word uh, today is either inherited or it is somehow produced out of entrepreneurship because most wage earners aren't becoming wealthy, right? So how do we balance that development and home ownership or real estate ownership and entrepreneurship to support one another? Um, I find that the conversation really is in the ownership space. The entrepreneurs have to own and they also have to support the owners. Mm. So most times, a lot of people don't realize that as wage earners, you can also be entrepreneurs. And you can generate income 
that can be used to put the down payment on the foundation for your generational wealth. Mm. That cycle can still continue while you work your nine to five. Talk, Tracy. (laughs) (laughs) So when we have this conversation, I don't feel like it's separate. I feel like it all kind of works together. It's just about the lane that you currently are in or choosing because you can inherit property, you can buy property and pass it on. But as an entrepreneur, you can also buy property in your LLC name and put it in a trust and then hold it for your children. That is still wealth that's being created and generated from an entity that is not your social security number. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of facets to this conversation, but I think that people do need to start thinking just from the bare minimum basics. Own something. I'm going to chime into what you just said, Tracy. I think that, uh, this is a shameless plug. I, you know, I, I, um, I think we just need more. We need more of black and brown individuals pursuing careers in real estate. I really do. Architecture, engineering, yes. construction, the trades. Just because we don't know someone that's done it doesn't mean that we can't you know, dip our toes and, you know, in, in places that we may not have in the past. And you may not necessarily know someone that has, but I think it's really important that we build a pipeline, you know, and start off by talking to young men and women in our families, in our communities, make them aware about the opportunities available in this industry, right? And you can make careers. Um, and, and that, I think, in my opinion, can the knowledge that comes with that and how that knowledge can not only fulfill individual lives, but the impact that will have on communities is important. Um, you know, there's, um, I, I don't know if y'all saw the Denzel Washington was asked about, um, he's asked about, you know, how he felt about having black directors in filmmaking. And he said, um, he said, it's not about, color he said it's about culture right Mm -hmm. and he said that there are cultural differences that um we all know as people of color right and and when you he said something about you know when you when you uh use a hot comb and it hits your head on that sunday morning we all know what that smells like yes (laughs) you know what i'm talking about we do we do So who is gonna direct that movie, right? That, yeah, right? Like, so the same thing applies in real estate. You know, you've been to the hair salon, it gets yeah. smoky in there sometimes. Like, and it's, you know, and you just, you have to have that in real estate. It's the same thing, right? Wow. We have architects designing our cities. We have builders that don't look like us building our buildings and we need more of us. And, you know, again, it starts, and, and it starts from a young age, it really does, but it's never too late, mm-hmm. it's really not too late. So yes, I agree hundred percent. I think homeownership is fundamentally necessary, right? It's the American dream. That's right. It's the American dream, right? So if you, I don't think that is an exclusive dream. That is a dream that is entitled by all Americans. Um, but, you know, I, I can think of just based on the little bit that I know and what I've shared with my contacts and how that's helped them with their real estate needs. 
And if you just, you know, it's that each one reach one and you just go out there and figure out over time, that needle will move. It will move, right? And um, I think it's worth noting that we have a city of really um, woke professionals, right? I, I think that we have a lot of, um, and they're not all black and brown. We have a lot of uh, support in trying to bring awareness in the real estate industry across so many different industry groups, right? I sit on a couple of boards and we've been talking about this for a long time. So folks want to help, right? I think there, there is an opportunity. So it's just about being curious, about asking the questions, about asking for a 20 minute phone call. And um, folks are almost always willing to say yes. It's not like it was when I first started, right? So I say, take, I say, you know, capture the moment, take advantage of it, so. Man, oh man, oh man. Mal, if he was in church, I'd give you an offering right now. And I ain't going to lie. <laughs> that right there was so powerful. Listen, you got Iola in the chat. There's people hand clapping and all kinds of stuff. Y'all just went to church. That was all good. That was all good. And it's and I and I and I want to echo that because when I work at Cheney in the DP, the DBE Supportive Services Center. I was so disheartened by the lack of black architects that I could reach yeah. out to. I was so disheartened by the lack of uh, black engineers that I was able to tap into um, to, to, to Mal's point. And, and yeah. you know, we have got to invade this real estate space. We can't rely on protests to change to challenge gentrification if we're not going to develop and, and develop properties and um and and invade that space in, in, in our own way. It, you know, Absolutely. from a cultural from a cultural standpoint. So we had a question from the audience. So I'm gonna go to Emily just walked by me. So I'm not sure what Em's <laughs> gone. So, so maybe Tracy is gonna help with answering asking this question. Someone in the audience had a She's talk. making her way. Okay. She's making her way. <laughs> we love Tracy. Hi. What am I doing? You want the, Somebody the in the audience had a question I, I, in the room. Oh, someone in here someone. had a chat? Oh, oh, George. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how the microphone situation works. We can hear you, George, loud and clear. We can hear Perfectly. you. Perfectly. I, I had a gentrification question. I live in a neighborhood that's been undergoing that for over 20 years. But a typical case in my neighborhood off the early path of gentrification, Main Street, even into the little side street, someone may have owned their home for 20, 30 or more years. They're now on a fixed income. Mm. House next door gets sold for 10 times mm. and their taxes go up. Mm. At that point, they've got no choice except to move. I'm, I'm wondering yeah. what is up with that if, 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 if you want to try and preserve neighborhoods and people living in the same place and that kind of thing. So I'll say one of the things that isn't really publicized, in my opinion, enough, I hear that problem a lot. And for seniors who are on a fixed income, mm -hmm. There are programs with the city where you can freeze your taxes for the rate to not go up. All you have to do is contact uh, them and request it. 
and mm -hmm. it will put a free on your taxes. And the only qualification is I think you have to be over 62 mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you don't have to worry about your inflation of pricing for taxes working around your neighbors. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I can say that can be helpful in keeping seniors in their homes in those specific situations. In other situations where there may be changes that are happening in your neighborhood and either you're not sure of how to take advantage or you're in a space where you're not sure how it's going to affect you, I would talk to a professional, but a lot of times, and we've had this conversation as well on this, on this podcast, you can also develop your own property. You can also do changes and updates that can make your property competitive to be able to take advantage of some of the values that are skyrocketing in your neighborhood. If you know you've been there 20 or 30 years or your parents have been there 20 or 30 years and there's a new construction going up on your block or behind your house or in the alleyway that's been vacant for 20 years, the features of that property being new construction are what raise the value. So if you can mimic some of those features, you may be able to take advantage of that value in some way. Because clearly your home may not be new construction 2021. But if you haven't updated the bathroom, if you haven't updated a kitchen, if you know you have things that you need to take care of on the exterior of the home, now might be the time. And most times, even with the city programs, they will allow you to borrow money at a very low interest rate to fix up your property. So there's a lot of resources that can be helpful just with a little research and a little communication. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you, Tracy. Thank Welcome. you for that. I, I was not aware of this freezing option, so I need to research that. This is really not so much for me as for some of my neighbors and let them know about that. So thank you very much for that. You're welcome. Mal, did you want to chime in? I see your mic is open. Um, I, I was going to, I'm going to share a little story about my personal experience. Um, if folks are wondering, what is Tracy talking about? You know, people always make it sound so easy. Well, you know, there, so I, my first home, um, and this is really how I got started, right? And my first home I bought, it was a dump. Um, and, you know, I bought it for $170,000. I lived in it. I fixed it up. Uh, saved for about seven years before I could buy it, right? Sorry, I'm jumping around. But I bought it for 170, fixed it up while I was living in it, kept moving my bed, right? Just fixing it up. About two years later, I appraised for 285. I went to a bank. I got a cash out refi, took that cash, used it to put 20% down on a half a million dollar property, right? And that's how I got started. Then that property that I developed eventually paid that first property off, right? So eventually you end up, you, you can, you, it's, it's a rinse cycle. You can keep doing that. And, and I'm not, I'm, listen, I'm not supporting, nor do, I don't want anybody to think that, you know, you should 
sign up for those, you know, get rich quick in real estate books or seminars or webinars, but do your own research. You'll find out that there's very creative ways that you can make it work for you, specific to you, right? And not just what I said, but um, circumstances are different and there's always a method out there. Um, so just ask a lot of questions for those who may be interested. Thank you, Mao. So what I, what I always love to bring to the conversation is I love Philly. Philly is a city of winners, right? And so if we look at this as a global city in the region of Philadelphia, we have a lot of young people. We have a diverse population. And when Philly wins, when in everybody can win, right? So where do they go? Who do they find the apprenticeships to become skilled labor or to become realtors or investors? If you had one organization that you could point someone to, Mal, who would you point them to in order to get more information so they can be a part of the solution? So that's a great question. Um, my, in order for my answer to be useful to whoever is listening, I would say it depends, right? It depends if they're a high school student, it's a different answer. If they're a college student, they're professional, it's a different story, right? So I'm gonna focus on, for brevity, I'll, I'm gonna focus on a professional. You have a career, you might not like it. You wanna, you wanna pivot. You've always been interested in real estate, didn't wanna go into it because you didn't know enough. I would suggest that you reach out to um, industry groups that have a focus on your interests. So for example, I sit on the board at the um, Urban Land Institute. Urban Land Institute has taken a very bold step in DE&I, right? And they have mentorship programs, they have teaching opportunities, they have training. Um, and you are in rooms with architects, developers, contractors, right? Folks in that real estate development industry that you can connect with, right? Um, if you're a female, I sit on the uh, Professional Women in Construction uh, board and they are a group of women that promote and give scholarships to women that want to be in construction um, and anywhere in construction specifically professional services and but there's lots of these groups uh, and the city as well I shouldn't you know I think the city does not get enough credit for the amount of time and effort they dedicate towards promoting these industries so um but let me just say relationships are a big part of, you know, kind of introducing yourself to this industry, but training is so important. Please like, you know, folks come and they say, I want to be in real estate, but you got to learn, like take a course, you know, certificate course, Temple Real Estate right here in Philadelphia. They have an institute, they give all kinds of courses. There's a lot of online programs in COVID that you can take. Educate yourself, right? And um, it takes it takes like this. This puzzle has lots of pieces in it, and you gotta you you can't just focus on one. And say it's not working for me. You gotta just. And you can reach out to me too, Malad at arspruce.com. I'm happy to share what I know. 
I was going to ask you, Tracy, do you have any recommendations for where those interested can go? Um, I, I feel like Mal, Mal covered a good amount of that because that's kind of the formula. Like you want to go where you know the information is being given out. And if you don't know where that is, the probably the easiest space is getting into the rooms of the people who were doing it and being able to say, hi, I know you don't know me, but I would like to do what you do, or I would like to learn what you do. You know, can you help or can you point me in the direction of someone who can? And a lot of times that's a very easy way to do it. It may not always be the most effective way because sometimes people are busy or, you know, they only have 10 minutes. <laughs> in the space where you're seeing them. So I get that. Um, but the professional resources, the professional organizations, um, all of that stuff is always a good space because they do have a component, most of the organizations on education or inclusion of new people who want to be in the industry who, or who already are. So I, I, I just echo what Mal said and just add a little bit. This has been an amazing conversation. We could probably go another, another 30, 40 minutes, but um, this has been a great conversation. I wanna thank uh, Mal, I wanna thank Tracy uh, for joining us for this conversation. Um, I wanna thank everyone who, who came on virtually and those that are here in person as well. Um, just any really quickly final thoughts, ladies, in addition to that, I just wanna thank you so much. Um, again for, for for your time and if you could put your, your your organization's website in the chat as well and any social media handles that would be great um any final thoughts you got about a minute and a half <laughs> you want to go Mal? um minute and a half man the pressure <laughs> <laughs> um use your voice use your voice no matter where you are, use your voice and, and let people know the vast amount of opportunity in real estate and please spread the word and tell them to spread the word. That's it. Yep, I, I agree with that. Um, I'm posting this stuff in the chat. I would just say um, my company's name is Mosaic Brokerage. If you ever need any real estate representation for any type of transaction and if you're not sure if you need it and you have questions we are an open book resource we have about 15 agents on our team all diversity inclusion we have a commercial real estate brokerage and we also have a development company that literally is responsible for 50 percent of the four billion dollar project at the naval yard so we are doing things from a top to bottom level. We want to reach the boardrooms as well as the uh, dinner table. So if you need us, we are here and we are helpful. Thank you, ladies, so much. We are over and out. <laughs> All right. <laughs>